Hey, hello and welcome to Brits One Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, deliberate and dissect a movie of our choosing. This month the movie is Cold and July. Cold and July? Cold in, in July. July. Cold That's in July, yeah. Um, as, as Luke says, we'll leave that in for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what about this movie? Because this is one that was on your list the last time. What made you put this on the list? Why is it something that you were drawn to? I, I picked this up on... Well, there's a few reasons I was drawn to it, but I picked this up on Steelbook for, like, three ninety nine. Right. Um, it, it was dirt cheap. It, might, it may have even been £3, to be honest. Um, I like the director's previous film, Stakeland, mm. and all the reviews that I'd read for this when it, had come, when it came out were, were kind of better than Stakeland, so I kind of figured... Well, if he's made a film that's better than Stakeland, then that's got to be worth watching. So, And I do like this kind of movie uh, set in, you know, like middle America and, you know, like, yeah, red, almost virgin on redneck country kind yeah. of thing. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, yeah, so like Texas Killing Fields, that kind of thing, I, I had that kind of vibe about it from what I'd seen. Um, uh, and that's a film that I really dig. So yeah, uh, that that piqued my interest. Um, yeah, um, much like yourself, I'm a big fan of Jim Mickle. I think the guy's done some great movies. Um, doesn't do enough for my liking. Uh, I think Cold in July was the last one that he did. Um, mm. So I really enjoyed Mulberry Street when I saw that. A kind of um, rat movie, uh, set in New York as rats infest this building and start eating people and things like that, um, pretty fun oh, wow. uh, Stakeland oh, Stakeland is, is amazing, absolutely amazing, it's one of those movies that um, just had like this really nice idea of a story really good cinematography, just really nice vampire movie um, road movie as well and um, the one I didn't see that he did is uh, We Are What We Are which was a remake, uh, some sort, but uh, Cold in July, I was interested immediately because of the director, um, and I'd seen the trailer, but the trailer didn't really wow me or, or sell me up, it kind of made me look like a, a typical movie where a guy defends his home and then is stalked by the rest of the movie by this sadistic father figure, and I was like, well, it seems familiar. Um, of course, seeing the movie now, I kind of understand why they didn't, show other things, because yeah. it would have ruined it, it would have ruined it, yeah. um, and, and I was all like, we'll check it out, and we did, thanks to you picking up. And and w- when, there are certain films where you will go and see them because it is a certain type of film, mm. and actually the the trailer for this drew me in precisely because it, it, it did have that feeling of them kind of early, mid-90s thrillers. Mm that came out, like uh, Pacific Heights mm-hmm. and Hand That Rocks the Cradle. and like they just, It just seemed to be, at that period, in the early to mid-90s, that there was just a lot of those kind of films out. You know, mm-hmm. Psycho kind of invades the home of, of a middle-class kind of American family. And, and yeah, uh, and we don't get too many of them these days, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, not... Not as good no. as those films from the nineties. So, this that was the film I was expecting to see based on the trailer, um, and 
Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I could have been... Dis- I'm trying not to get into stuff too early, but I, I, I could have been disappointed, I think, mm. um, had it gone certain ways. Let's, we'll get into it anyway, so... Synopsis. Synopsis, uh, as usual. So, cold in July... After family man Richard Dane kills an intruder identified as Freddie Russell, he finds himself fearing for his family's safety when the man's ex-con father targets him for revenge. But as the two men begin to realise that not all is as it seems, they decide to take matters into their own hands, employing the help of a private investigator. When danger lurks at every turn and even blood is not as thick as water, it's going to feel very cold in July. <laughs> yeah, it's not a title that lends itself easily. Yeah. Man, I tried and I tried with that one. That was just, of all the films we've done so far, that was the hardest to work the title in. But that uh, the you, best you did admirably. Um, it, it was fine. Okay, so I guess straight into the movie. Um, and uh, Much like the movie, it just kicks straight into the story. I love when movies do this. You know, you'll discover the character through the story. It just starts off with the main sort of point that, that kicks his tail off, and that is somebody invading this guy's house. Of Michael C. Hall rocking a mean mullet who wakes up and um, confronts this attacker in a really interesting scene. Um, you know, he's kind of terrified, the, the, the robber's kind of terrified as well, and then it's just a, a twist of fate, <laughs> it causes him to shoot, you know, and uh, things are changed forever after this. What did you think of the opening of the movie? Yeah, I loved the opening. Uh, it kind of, it made me think of uh, a history of violence, mm. in a way. Um, and, and, I mean, that film... It kind of has that vibe as well, that Midwestern town about it. Um, so I, I think maybe that's where I felt the film was going to go, only without him turning into the ultimate badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I thought it would just keep escalating and escalating yeah. until he until he had no choice but to do something that, you know, like that breaks that middle class cool, I guess. Um, gets him so riled up, he ends up, you know, because because the way he kills this man at the beginning, he he certainly doesn't intend. It. No. He he does it because he's he's scared. Yeah, is it, he's scared witless. Is it basically. the clock chimes? Yeah, uh, the clock chimes, and then the yeah he pulls the trigger. Mm. But um, it's certainly not his intention. He's he's more scared than anything else. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's funny you saying that. Like um, you expected things to escalate and escalate, and him to become the man that reacts to the situation because technically mm. that is what happens just not in the way you're expecting it to yes yeah well this this is it and and that's the main thing with this film really is that it kind of subverts your expectations mm. well um, meeting them at the same time <laughs> yes whilst meeting them at the same time um cuz how quickly this guy because for, for anybody who hasn't seen it, obviously we do do spoilers in, in this and the way we discuss it, it probably ain't ha- helpful if you haven't seen the film or at least know what we're talking about. So th- this, this, this kid gets killed. We never find out who this guy is, but the police 
do a bit of a, a double switch because they've put this this other guy who's going to testify in the mafia into protective custody. So when this guy, this Michael C. Hall character, when he shoots this 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 other kid, they use that body and they put it in the papers as if it was this other guy, mm. the one who's gone into the witness protection program. So the father of that guy thinks his son has now been killed. And when he gets out of prison, he goes and he targets Hall's family. Mm. So from that point on, once you learn, like, until we know that what's going on with the police and the, the witness protection stuff, we just assume this guy's got out of prison, he's found out his son's going to die, and he's coming for him. And so you've literally got no other reason to think that this film is going to go anywhere other than this guy terrorising him to breaking point. Yeah. And they even set up a few of those um, tropes mm -hmm. In the, in the beginning of it, where like the cop kind of you know you know like he goes to the police and he says he's threatened my family and he's like well how's he threatened your family all he said is you know a few nice sounding words mm. you know y your son looks like you ooh and, and it, it's it is that thing that they always used to do in those nineties <laughs> thrillers where we know we know that this guy is a threat. Mm -hmm. We know that he didn't mean it in the nicest possible sense. There's a dark, dark undercurrent in the way he's saying these things. But the police weren't there, so they didn't see it the way we saw it, so they can't act on it. So you, you just think, or at least I thought, that that's how the film is going to play out. Mm -hmm. It's going to be more and more of this kind of stuff until it escalates to a point where this guy has to act and become something that at the beginning of the film he wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and like you say, it subverts those expectations by making this guy become that thing he wasn't, but much quicker and for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. So when he, when he figures out that this, uh, this, this, this whole plot by the police or that something dodgy is going on, and, he, and he, he kind of stops the police from killing this guy, mm. the father of this other guy. Um, <laughs> the, the two of them suddenly become like the worst buddy cop team ever. Because yeah. there's, yeah, you don't, you don't trust this guy at all because you know he's an ex-con. You know he's just got out of prison. Uh, clearly his son is up to mm. some dodgy stuff. Um, and he has threatened Hall's son. Mm -hmm. You know, he was stood over his son. We didn't know if he was going to do anything or whether he was just scared off when the police showed. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, he, he may have been in that house with every intention to kill this guy's son. So we've got no reason, really, to, to root for this guy. Mm -hmm. But... Mikkel and the other guy who writes, Dimitri or something, yeah. Dimitri, yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, I can't remember his name, but he deserves credit because he does, he, he works with um He was Mikkel the main guy in um, yeah. Stateland. Yeah. And I think, yeah. He's, the, so I think he's one of the cops here as well. Oh, right, okay. Well, they're, they're clearly a, a very creative yes. team together. They mm. work together quite a lot. Yeah, um, I, think, I think part of the magic is of the movie is is the characters, because they don't really do or say much, but you have a complete sense of, of who they are just through small actions. You take yeah, Michael C. Hall's character, you know, 
it's such a strange character. He's a framer. You know, that's his, his job. And even just doing something as simple as after this event, going to the diner and having a beer, somebody just says, well, it's, it's not like you. You get an idea of the weight yeah. of, of this well, event. She says, it's a bit early for drinking, isn't it? And he says, not today. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get you get lots of things like that with these characters all the way through it. You know, um, Sam Shepard's character, who is um, the, the supposed murdered boy's father, uh, the escape or the... the a convict that's got out, he has a moment where, after seeing a videotape, he just goes to the car and sits for what seems like a long time. And you have an idea of what's going through his head without anybody saying anything or, or having any exposition or, or holding up uh, cue cards for you to get an idea of what's happening. It's just implied and it's, it works so tremendously well. We're, we're kind of jumping all over the place with the plot, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, but the plot does that yes, because yes. one one minute it's one thing and the next minute it's suddenly something else. Like you, you when these two get together, mm. you know when they they dig the grave up mm. and you, you know you, like they re, they realize it isn't this guy's son, it's someone else, which means the son is still alive. So they need to find you, like in my mind, it's just going to be these two. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be this uneasy alliance. It's always going to be distrustful. Um, and when he eventually finds his son, there's, there's no guarantee that the, the two of them won't then turn on him mm-hmm. because, let's face it, they're not exactly kosher. Um, so then all of a sudden, into the mix, we get this full-on Texas cowboy <laughs> character. He's awesome. Who is, yeah, he's a really awesome character and he's kind of like the flip side to the 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 other father mm-hmm. character, the, the, the dark one. I can't remember the name of the actor. Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard, that's it. So he's completely the flip side to the Sam Shepard character. He's, a mu- he's much lighter, much breezier. Bit, bit more of a joker. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, a very loud personality with those massive bull horns on the front of his car and whatnot. <laughs> like pure Texas, you know, full full bred Texan. Like, mm-hmm. um, so as soon as he joins the mix and it becomes this like trinity of them, yeah. Again, it becomes a different film and and like it almost becomes a comedy, mm-hmm. in, in, like a a, a buddy. A buddy cop comedy kind of mm-hmm. thing, uh, you know. So, yeah, it, it it is crazy like that. So you do find that when you're talking about it, you, I think your mind does jump to different places because there's different tones throughout the film, but balanced really well. It never feels like it suddenly goes out of whack. Yes, yeah. it's, it's always appropriate. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, a running theme of accidents throughout the movie. Um, he accidentally shoots the guy at the start. He just happens to be driving by an alleyway where the police are, are pulling this guy out. Um, mm. What's the next one? They accidentally crash into the guy whose boot opens up and that's where they discover yeah. the tapes. And then I'm sure at the end of the fight, he has an accident again and that alerts to somebody else to come and shoot the guy that's going to kill him. Mm. It's... It's all happening. It's, it's almost like a it's, it, well, it's like a sense sense of fate, isn't it? Mm. Um, like f- for me, the the overarching, I guess, theme of what like what the film is really all about. Um, Righteous justice. <laughs> well, no, I it, I I think it's um, like do you know 
in the Dark Knight, there's that quote where he says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Mm. I almost feel like there's, there's, there's a version of that quote that applies to this, mm -hmm. only it, it, it's, a sli it's slightly different. And it goes, you either protect your children from the world mm. or you have to protect the world from your children. Yeah. And I think that that's really what this film is about. You've got this, this one guy who is a family man. He, 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 as an act of bravery, really, at the start of the film, because he doesn't know who's in his house. Mm. There could be more than one assailant, but he's, he's there to protect his family. You know, mm -hmm. he goes out. He doesn't want to kill this bloke. He doesn't go out there and just commit cold-blooded murder, but he goes out to defend his family, to protect his child who's sleeping in the next room from the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that very same world that has encroached into his house is, is the kind of world that Sam Shepard's son is very much caught up in. Um, and Sam Shepard, at that point, realises that actually he's got to do the reverse. He's got to protect the world mm -hmm. from his son. And who... Who should bear that responsibility is, is the question, mm -hmm. I guess, that the film is posing. And who, who better to bear that responsibility than the father? Um, which, yeah, I, so I, I just think, yeah, brilliant, brilliantly handled, I think, uh, from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you see, just within the three characters themselves, a, a sense of um, well, a, a very strong moral compass. You know, they see something wrong and almost unspoken bond decide to just deal with it. You know, uh, yeah. circumstances be damned. You know, if they have to do some uh, damn nasty things, it's going to, that evil is going to outweigh the, the say, greater evil that they're taking out. Um, yeah. type thing. There's some fantastic scenes in the movie. We've talked a little bit about the opening, which I think is great, but I think one of the scenes that I really enjoyed was when the police are staking out um, Michael C. Hall's house because they're expecting Sam Shepard to turn up at some point and they're all outside watching and they're inside the house and you have this mm. tense sequence of where you suddenly realise that he is in the house already and he's just yeah. standing over the bed, water dripping off from just looking. <laughs> what an awesome scene that, again, I didn't see coming. This movie offers surprise after surprise after surprise. This was a terrific scene um, that really mounts up the tension, the, the thrills. You didn't know what was going to happen to this family into an exciting chase sequence. What did you think of this scene, Brian? Yeah, just exactly what you said. I mean, the, the surprising for, thing for me was when they caught him. Mm. When they ra when they radio through and say, we've picked him up, we caught him, that's yeah. that. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, when, that's when you realise, well, OK, the, the, we've got another... <laughs> We've got another hour at least of this film to go. Mm. So, where are they going from here? Um, so yeah, that's that's when it kind of turns on a dime a bit. Mm. But um, wh what did you think about the wife character? Because th there are times when sh she runs a bit hot and cold. Like you can you can tell the two of them love each mm. other. They are happily married. We see we get enough moments between them where they where they laugh with each other where she like he you know he i mean unfortunately he lies to her about going on this trip mm. he can't very well tell her the truth because there's no way in hell she would let him go yeah. um 
but you know she she doesn't hold him back from it. She she has a little bit of a moan because she's going to be left with mm-hmm. the you know the son for the week, but that's just that's understandable. Uh, but uh, she's still supportive mm-hmm. of him and and his plans to grow the business and things. And yet there are other times where for me, I I kind of wanted a bit more understanding because. Like the guy's literally just shot someone mm. and killed them, mm. you know. And, and I, th- I think it's literally like the next day, if if not like a couple of days after. And he shouts at his son. They're in a restaurant, and he shouts at his son because his son just interrupts them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just kind of gets up and walks out. And I don't know. I I, I guess in that moment, I kind of feel for for him more because I'm like. What's what's he going through right now? You know, like the the the, the, the what he's processing, what he's done. Mm. Um, I don't know how, how how does that sit with you? That, that's the the genius part of the movie for me because this is the typical throwaway character, the wife who's there just in the background doing stuff, and um, if she was like really sympathetic to to him, it, mm. it's always putting the story on onto him. But this is an event that that. Um, affected the full family mm, and yeah. it it's real in the manner that people run hot and cold you know oh, yeah. and, and, and it feels the conversations feel real and even when they're in the diner and she kind of storms off it feels genuine you know people don't um, always say the right thing or do the right thing they, they run hot and cold themselves and it feels mm. natural and real and I think that's that's the thing about this movie even the sideline characters get the small moments to make them feel like genuine people. And and yeah. you, you buy into that relationship. Relationship like that. No, no uh, couple I know run uh, constantly just on a, an even keel. You have your ups, you have your downs, but you, 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 as a couple, you work through it as you normally do. You understand people have the tendency to just be like that. And that, for me, felt very genuine. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I agree. Uh, like... There's, there's never a, there was never a sense that I felt it was disingenuous. Mm. Uh, just, as I say, it still stirs those emotions mm. that seeing it from his side, where he's at psychologically right now after what he's done, uh, I, I feel like I feel like I can identify with him. I would want more understanding mm. from my wife in, in that circumstance. But it could be a case of that she... She's in the same boat. This has happened to the, the whole family. It's not just him. He, he may have been the, yeah. the main architect of it, but it, it happened to them all. And she needs him to get back to, to being the father that he was beforehand. You know, because mm. if he lumbers about and he thinks and dwells on this too much, it's going to sort of affect his psyche, affect his ability to be the parent that he once was and the partner that he once was. And she needs him to snap out of that and get back to being the guy that he was, the, the family provider. Yeah, no, absolutely, possibly. Um, one no, one more scene, just quickly, that I want to talk about is the the Sam Shepard being drugged and left on the train tracks, and this mm-hmm. you just have the character having this moral choice. This is the guy who he thinks is going to hurt his family or him, and there is a train coming for him which is going to wipe out all of his problems. Uh, does he just stand by, or does he do the right thing and save the person that could be trying to? destroy him and his family you know it doesn't even dwell on this kind of moral choice too long um, it's just a nice little moment again 
I like him. Yeah. I, 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 well, he he is, I would say, a pretty morally upstanding guy. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I, again, I repeat, he didn't intend to kill the guy at the beginning, and it's weighing quite heavily on him now. And the whole reason he goes on this adventure with um, Shepard and the, the Texas cowboy is because... Yeah, with Don Johnson, is because he can't live without knowing who that guy was. He, you know, and he never really finds the answer mm. to that, but that, that's what haunts him. And he, he, it's not enough for him to just kind of wash his hands of it and walk away. He, he needs to know who he shot mm. because it weighs heavily on him. Um, Which is good. And that's because he has a moral compass. Yeah, because it's, it's, and I think this is a good stroke as well. It's based in Texas. You know, when mm. he shoots a guy that's invading his house, he's, <laughs> he's held up as a hero. Everybody's saying to him, yeah. you did the right thing, I would have done the mm. same. But he's... Well, is that, there's that one guy, isn't there, who's just like full-on <laughs> kind of stereotypical Texan, shoot first, ask questions later, son of a bitch comes on my property. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess we, we should get to the, the rather... Um, dark turning of the screw the um, mm. the videotapes and what's on the yeah, videotapes very, very difficult to watch must be said yeah. Cause, uh, because he plays with her mm. as well at first like he keeps swinging that bat and stopping mm. just inches away and it does make you, Kurt Russell's son Wyatt as Russell, well yeah. yeah Wyatt Russell there um, I, I didn't realise actually until because I the funny thing is I watched this because we, we were going to record our review for it a while back yeah. um, and I watched it and we, for whatever reason we didn't record and then I went out and saw our Overlord like literally a couple of days <laughs> right. after and I was like, suddenly everything twigged. Oh, that's the dude that was in Cold in July. Oh, that's, it's Wyatt Russell. That's Kurt Russell's son. You know, like, in that film, I really saw the resemblance mm. in Kurt Russell and then the penny kind of dropped, but um, yeah, he's he he's not a nice character mm -hmm. in this at all, um, and it is that thing, isn't it, about him being a stray dog, as his father oh, yeah. says. You know, what what do you do with a stray dog? You you either chain him up or you put him down, and we can't very well chain him up now, can we? Um, so. Yeah, it kind of leaves only... But but it also calls into question the moral implications and repercussions of the witness protection programme mm. and the people that it defends in order to get other criminals. It's, it's like the FBI create this tier system where they allow certain crimes to go unpunished just so that they can get to you know, what they perceive to be bigger organised crimes mm. um, to get to the mafia. But what this guy's doing to these women, <laughs> man alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that kind of leads, I suppose, to the, the end sequence of the movie, the, the big bloodbath, um, I, I guess we should call mm. it, because it, it is, um, where, where these guys are setting up for another uh, horrendous video. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can't help but just feel that these guys are just cleaning house and, and quite rightly doing it. Mm. Um, and the action. I, I, 
I do, if there's one thing mm. I'd have changed, I wouldn't have killed Sam Shepard's character. And that's, that's, not, uh, that's not me being all, oh, I really liked his character and I wanted him to live. No, I, I, I think we should have had, how, how I would have ended it is they all, the three of them get out. Obviously, Sam Shepard is a bit banged up. Mm. He's been shot, but he lives. Um, and then I would have, I would have had it where he's, he's quite, you know, quite stoic in the face of, you know, when he's with those other two guys. But then we see him on his own in a room somewhere where finally everything just on top of him and he just breaks down. Uh, and, I, and I would intercut that image of him breaking down with the final image of Hall's character climbing into his bed with his family mm -hmm. um, because I think it would really feed in nicely to those themes that, that, that I talked about, which is that you know, you've, you've got this one family who's, who's done everything that he's done to protect his family and then, like I say, intercut that with Shepard's character breaking down. He's got nothing left, but he's done it because he felt that he had to protect the world from his own son. Mm -hmm. And having those two edited together at the end, I think would have been a much stronger ending that would have really brought out that theme in a, in, in a much better way. I, f I felt like, I guess I felt the filmmakers probably thought they can't let the father go after this. Mm -hmm. There's no... There's no moving on from that, um, so they, they, they kill them. But for me personally, that was the wrong way to go. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't like destroy the film. No. I don't think it's a dissatisfying ending, but I just feel like, yeah, they, they could have done something different. No, that's, a, that's an, interesting, uh, an interesting idea. Uh, anything else you want to discuss about Cold in July? Yeah, one thing is the score. Mm. Um, like I, I remember liking the score the first time I saw it uh, about a month ago, just before I went to see Overlord. Um, but then I watched it again last night, just before because we, again, we were supposed to record this last night, but you had some trouble and couldn't get on. Mm. Um, so with that time that we were going to spend recording, I decided to watch it again just to get the film fresh in my mind for today. Um, and this, because I didn't have to pay so much attention to the narrative because I knew what was going to happen, I was able to just kind of relax into the film a bit more and look at other things. And the score, I really enjoyed the score. It jumped out at me a lot more this time round. Mm -hmm. So much so that actually as soon as I watched the film, as soon as the film was over, I got it on my Spotify. Um, and I actually, when I went for my morning walk this, this morning, I listen to the score, and it is a—it's one of those scores that you can listen to outside the context of the film, and it's still just a damn good score. Um, so yeah, re really appreciate the music to this film. Excellent. Um, do you want to wrap up? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want me to do it first? Yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, yeah, I—I I think this is really solid work. I—I um, I was. I was very, very close to giving this a four and a half out of five because on the second watch, it was not only as good as it was on the first one, but I actually think it improved. Mm. Um, I, I, I was able to draw those themes out of it the, the second time round and a lot of the subtext that was in there. 
Um, yeah, I I think this is a better film than Stakeland, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I liked Stakeland quite a bit. Um, but there's just there's something about this that that feels very well calibrated. Mm. The script feels very much on point, uh, brilliantly executed from everyone concerned. Um, and it is a film that I can very much imagine revisit, revisiting time and time again. Uh, I would highly recommend it to anyone. I am gonna I am gonna settle on a four out of five for now, um, but part of me kind of regrets that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally this is one of these movies that I had a rough idea in my head of what it was going to be and it surprised me at almost every turn every time I thought well this is where it's going now it took a left turn and surprised me again I found it was wonderfully layered it's very plot heavy but it doesn't feel bogged down like that it feels free flowing and natural um, and this was a movie that I utterly enjoyed and I'm looking forward to revisiting it again because I've only seen it the once um, I think it's going to get better on repeat viewings it's a movie that I would happily recommend to any film fan to check out because I think it's really really terrific and like yourself Brian I gave it 4 out of 5 Okay so now we're going to do a top 5 vigilante movies um, a lot of vigilante movies out there. Uh, For that reason, we kind of ruled out, well, I ruled out, I don't know about Graham, but I certainly ruled out superhero movies um, because technically they're all vigilante movies, in which case The Dark Knight would be my number one, obviously. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so so it it was mainly just normal, everyday folk, average people, who end up taking the law into their own hands, that to me was a vigilante movie. That's what constituted a vigilante movie. So, uh, yeah, even so, there's a lot of them out there. Um, but who, who's, who's going to go first? Well, first can I just say, this was one of those lists. That it goes either way for me. Either I instantly know which five I'm putting on it, or like this. I need to go to Google and start going like yeah. uh, vigilante movies, mm. and then I go through them all and list them, and then I start crushing them off because I'm like I, I can't remember that, yeah. or it's been a long while since I've seen it, or and then I end up with five that's on my list, and I look at it and go, that's not a good list. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, why don't I go first? Go on then. Um, if I can remember anything about these movies at all. Uh, my number five is uh, the James Wan directed Kevin Bacon starring Death Sentence, okay. um, which is, is very much like Death Wish. Um, you know, a mild-mannered man, his life is turned upside down when someone close to him is murdered, uh, takes revenge against the gang who perpetrated it. Mm. But Kevin Bacon is one of these actors that I really do like quite a bit and James Wan is one of these directors I think is getting better and better and this was a kind of sidestep away from horror a little thriller movie that gets extremely bleak and bloodier and greyer as the movie goes on and it's one that I've only seen the once but it stuck with me as something that was rather memorable I might need to watch it again. I have seen it. I didn't rate it all that highly, but then I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Saw either. But uh, I, I don't know. I, 
I'm co- I'm coming round to James Wan and his his style. He's done a few mm. films recently that I like. Uh, so yeah, um, may- maybe it's primarily his horror stuff that I'm not a fan of. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I do want to just mention three honourable mentions and give reason as to why I didn't put them on the list. And they are V for Vendetta, Munich and Gran Torino. Now, Gran Torino I didn't put on because the point at which our hero kind of takes matters into his own hands literally happens in the last five minutes. Um, Up until that point, it ain't really a vigilante movie. It's something else, Mm -hmm. so I, I don't really count it as a vigilante movie per se um munich is definitely a vigilante movie but it's more about terrorism i it i it's kind of yeah it's it's more a wartime situation in a way freedom fighters whatever kind of so but it is still kind of a vigilante movie but yeah I just I felt a bit dodgy putting that on there. Um, v for Vendetta, it, it kind of veered too much into the comic book superhero world, so I, I left that off there. Um, but, uh, okay. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I won't object if you have one of those on your list, but... I think I've got one that... Uh, we'll get to it straddles next. that line. Okay, yeah. no worries. Okay, but th- that's... Those three films to me, are better than any of the films that are in my top five. Yeah, my list is all, like, yeah. genre kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. Because I, 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 I tried to stay, like, really within that idea of one man goes up against the system. You know, that. so one man takes the law into his own hands. Not a team of mm. men, not a superhero, not, yeah, none of this. So with that in mind... My number five is Walking Tall. Uh, I, I love Walking Tall. It's mm-hmm. a really short movie. It's about 80 minutes long. <laughs> it, I, I, it may even be shorter, to be honest. I think the, the credits are about five minutes of that running time, so it's probably more like 75 minutes long. Um, but it's just a blast. It's, mm-hmm. it's very efficient in what it does. Uh, I think... The problem with a lot of movies these days is they just they try and bump up the running time with perfunctory yeah. scenes just so that they can get past that 90-minute mark. Uh, the way I see things is you don't have to do that. If you've got a 70-page script, if you've got an 80-page script that's really tight, you know... That, that's that's a perfect film. It doesn't matter how long it is. That's a perfect film. If, if there's no if there's no baggage on there, if you're not looking at it and thinking, well, they could have lost that scene, mm. then then that's that's perfect. Okay. And when I say perfect, I know Walking Tall ain't Citizen Kane. You know, it, but for what it is, for the kind of movie it is, a, a briskly paced action movie in which people get hit, you've got a likable central protagonist um, and, and, and a cast of characters that you, that you, that you enjoy. Uh, that, it ticks all the boxes on that front. It's a really great Dwayne Johnson movie uh, and a really solid, solid action film um, and kind of based on a true story, loose <laughs> in the loosest of terms, obviously. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, a walking tall for me. Um, no, I, I like it. I, I agree with you. Um, if I see a movie that's 
like 75 minutes, 80 minutes, I am probably going to give that a chance yeah. at some point just because I'm like, that's, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. No, it's not going to outstay its welcome, hopefully. Mm. Yeah. Okay, my number four, and the one that straddles the line, I think I may cross, is The Punisher. Um, mm. The Dolph Lundgren version. Oh, the Dolph the Lundgren? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the Thomas Jane version. Okay. Um, again, it's not the, the greatest movie ever, but I have a lot of fun with that. It's got some good action set pieces. Mm. A man, is a, his life is turned upside down when someone close to him is murdered and he gets revenge on the gang that perpetrated it. Sounds rather similar to Death Sentence, I know, but a lot of them are going to sound that way. Yeah. Um, this is the kind of the very definition of a vigilante film, really, isn't it? It's yeah. like I, I kind of like Thomas Jane. I like him in yeah. this role. Yeah. Um, I like some of the action set pieces, the one with the sailor particularly. It, it, it's really a lot of fun. I like how he kind of gets redemption with this kind of surrogate family that he has in the apartment block. And um, it's never a movie that's going to be like something that you sit down and, and really delve into, but it's something you're going to throw on just for sheer entertainment. I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I, I like the villains in it. It's like these kind of different bounty hunters that just <laughs> pop up. Like the Russian, I think. That, that fight scene with the, the Russian, Russian is just yeah, awesome. I don't know why I called him the sailor. It's <laughs> the, the <straight laughs> he lo- Yeah, he looks like a sailor. And then you've got that Johnny Cash guy. He just lo- literally just looks like Johnny Cash walked out of the 50s and... Became a hitman, um, but yeah, uh, it's 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 pretty funny that w- when you've got John Travolta as your main villain, he's actually the least interesting one out of them. Uh, so, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's good, it's solid. I enjoy it, um, and I love Thomas Jane as the Punisher. I also really love the short film that he did after it, the Dirty Laundry one. Uh, have you have yes. you seen that yet? Yes. So, yeah, that's very good. Uh, so, my number four is Man on Fire, which is the Tony Scott film. Uh, so we've got this this guy called Creasy who, what Man on Fire does exceptionally well, uh, is spend an awful long time with the girl who is going to get kidnapped, played by Dakota Fanning. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, if if you did this in most other films, you would be bored senseless and you would be checking your watch and you'd be like just get to the damn action already mm-hmm. but because of the way it's handled um you know I, I think tony scott was often underrated as a directioner i think people overlooked his capabilities yeah. um because he did you know he did put a lot of flash and bang with with, with the visuals and stuff and the mm-hmm. quick quick fire editing um but actually he knew how to handle a bit of heart as well, and he does that yeah. here. So the, the you know the, this relationship between this girl and Denzel Washington's character, they invest you in it so much that when she gets taken, you totally buy into Creasy's full-on vigilante. I don't care. I'm going to kill everyone until I find her. Mode. Um, and it, yeah, and from that point on, the film is just balls to the wall kind of grit. Uh, so yeah, really love it. Um, primarily because of that, the way in which they build up that relationship between those two characters. 
Yep, yeah, it should have been on my list. It's not. Oh. <laughs> um, I think because I put it on a list a couple of episodes back. Mm. Um, my top five Denzel movies. Yeah. 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 Um, my number three is uh, the Boondock Saints. <laughs> Obviously, one of Brian's favourite. Uh, two brothers' lives are turned upside down when something close to them is murdered, and they decide to take out the Boston uh, underworld. I like this movie a lot. Um, I know it has its detractors. Um, but yeah, it's got Billy Connolly in it. <laughs> it's the, uh, the Mad Assassin. It's got the two brothers that I do quite like. Um, I've never seen the sequel. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's got some good action set pieces, some nice direction. And... Um, to go along with it, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary. Overnight, I was literally, I was going to, I was waiting for you to finish so I could mention it. I have seen yeah. it. Um, that's amazing. That's. I actually had Overnight on DVD, and Boondock mm. Saints was on it as a special feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, man. What a story, though. Mm. Like, how could he yes. blow up like that? Man, like, well, that was... Um, basically, he thought he was the next Tarantino. Yes. He, he had it in his head that he was the next Tarantino. In his mind, he was as good, um, and he was working with the same producers, Bob and Harvey Weinstein, particularly Harvey Weinstein. Mm. It's like a swear <laughs> word now in, it, in, in uh, film circles. But, um, yeah, back then... Harvey, you know, Harvey Weinstein being as powerful as he was. And this guy, Troy Duffy, his name is, he had such belief in himself and this, <laughs> this film, Boondock Saints, which i got to say, I have seen it. Well, I'm not, I've not seen it all. I've seen a lot of it, and I couldn't get through it. I thought it was so appallingly bad. And I, I feel like... Because I saw the, the, the documentary first, Overnight. Right. Um, that's what it's called, Overnight. I didn't see it overnight. It's called Overnight. Um, <laughs> and I, I recommend it to anyone. If you have not seen this film, not Boondock Saints, but Overnight, seriously, if you want to see how a career explodes and then implodes within the making of one film, I kid you not, it is the most entertaining thing you are ever going to see. Um, the, the, the guy had it all in front of him, really. Oh, yeah. If he'd have kept his mouth shut, listened... Kept the ego Yeah, under kept control. the ego in, in, you know, in check, listened to the Weinsteins, what they were saying, let them produce it the way they wanted to. He, he, he could have been... Well, still making movies, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, but uh, I, I don't even know how he got Boondock Saints 2 made, to be honest, because basically after this, the Weinsteins just... Yeah. They, they trashed him. They dumped him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no one would take his calls afterwards. So... I do like the boondock scene, so I do enjoy it. I, 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 I watched it, I put it on, and I, I kid you not, it felt like a student film. The, I thought the acting was terrible. I thought the, the way it looked felt very much like a made-for-TV movie. Mm. I don't know. It just, and it felt like somebody wanting to be Tarantino. 
trying to do it, that. It does have that. Yeah. Oh, I can do the cool dialogue in which everybody's hip and postmodern, and, and it's just. But like, then everybody oh. did that in the, the yeah. late nineties. Yeah. So he he felt like a knockoff of a knockoff of Tarantino to me. I don't know. I I know loads of people who really rate it. Um, good friend of mine on YouTube. Uh, Jack Grimson, he, he really rates it. It's one of his favourite films. Uh, I don't know, maybe I need to give it another try, but that's, that first experience, man, was not a good one. So, anyway. Uh, next on my list, my number three, and I think at one point this film would have made my number one on this list. Um, right. I, I probably have seen it more than any of the other films on my list, and... It probably still deserves to be at number one, quite frankly, but over the years it's waned on me simply just because of how dark it gets. It's one of those films where I watch it, although saying that, we're going to get to my number two choice as well, but uh, like <laughs> my number three, it's like it's one of those films where when now when I watch it, I, I, it, it just it feels Tell like... Tell us a title, Brian. It feels like it's pressing down on me, and that film is Dead Man's Shoes. Oof, British yeah. film, it's Shane Meadows directs it, it's brilliantly mm. made and it's got one of the best performances uh, from, yep. a, from a British actor for my money anyway uh, in yep. this kind of film uh, which is Paddy Considine as this, this guy who comes into town and he basically just, he, he, he was in the military he's come back out of the military and he comes back to avenge his brother. His his brother was bullied uh, by this this local gang, um, but his brother is um, special needs. You know, he's he's not quite with it up there. Uh, so yeah, they they basically preyed on this yeah. vulnerable member of society. So when his brother gets out of the military, finds out about this. He goes to town on these guys and, and like, really goes to town on them. And it almost becomes, like, a British slasher film because mm. he, you know, he even wears this mask. He wears this gas mask. Um, you know, at one point, these guys who are so drugged up to their eyeballs, <laughs> they don't know what they're seeing. They, they, call, they call him an elephant. When they go to see the leader of their gang, he's like, he looks like an elephant, man. And the, the leader just totally does his nut. He's like, talk sense. And he's like... but. It's just, it's very realistic. It's shot in a very kind of, almost like mm. Ken Loach kind of style, which, you know, is, is Shane Meadows kind of style, quite frank, to be quite frank. Like he, he does all, all of his films in that kind of vibe. Mm. I like it. I like him as a director. Uh, and, yeah, uh, it's just, it, it, it's a gut punch, quite frankly. Mm. When you watch it for the first time, you know, we don't get many films like this in Britain. We like particularly around the time this was made. We we either got gangster flicks that wanted to be the next Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, or we got yeah. period dramas starring Keira Knightley. That that's about as you know. Or we might get the uh, you know working title Hugh Grant movie of the year. That was it. We kind of got have those three different types of movies. So. When this came on the scene, it was a horror film. It was a uh, just you know a gritty drama. It's a slasher film. It, it it works on so many levels, and it's just really expertly handled. But 
for me, it's those. So it's the two performances actually. The central one yeah, by Pad Paddy Considine, which is excellent, and yeah, Tony Kebble, uh, Toby Kebble, I should say. Uh, to this, I think this was the first thing Toby Kebble did. I think. Um, and Who's standing? Yeah, when when I saw it, it was one of those cases where I didn't actually, I I couldn't tell if they'd got someone who had special needs to do the role. Uh, whether it was someone who didn't but was playing it, the the, the performance was that good. Um, so yeah, I, I people in the horror world who, who like slasher movies, I, I often you know I often try and get them to watch this because it tends to be one that particularly American side of things, few people have actually seen it. Um, so yeah, Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah, I think I think you win, Brian. Uh, that should have been number one in both our lists. To be yeah. fair. I didn't even register that one. It's a mm. terrific movie. Uh, the one thing you didn't mention is the, the sort of mystery element because you don't mm. get the full story until mm. right near the yeah, end. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I was purposefully trying not to go there. So, my bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, ah. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Okay. Moving on. So. Um, my number two, and again, please don't judge me in this list. I felt as if I was short on options. <laughs> um, <laughs> My number two is Four Brothers. Uh, four adoptive brothers' uh, lives are turned upside down when someone close to them is murdered and they exact revenge against the gang that perpetrated it. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I really, for some reason, I don't know what it is, Mark Wilberg movies, there's a certain few of them that you know, you just know aren't great movies, but somehow, for some reason, they are immensely rewatchable. You know, thinking things like um, Two Guns, I've watched that far more, far more times than I probably should have. Same with Four Brothers. It's one of these movies that I put on and I enjoy the hell out of it. It's, it's background exactly noise, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's, it's good yeah. background noise. Um, I'm sure it's John Singleton who directs this one as well. Yeah. I, not a, not a fan, got to say, of Singleton on the whole, but... Yeah, there's a couple of things that I, mm. I'd like. One... <laughs> four brothers, basically. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, did he do the shaft? He did. One? He did. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Which is getting a, a reboot sequel. Yeah. This year. Yeah. So I hear. Um. Anyway, I, I do enjoy Four Brothers. I, I like the, the cast of, of the brothers themselves. A little mystery tale, trying to figure out what happened to the mother. Them sort of reconnecting while trying to solve this mystery and get revenge. And it's just one of these silly fun, entertaining, not to be taken seriously, movies. Okay. Your list is so, like, yours is like low-rent kind of stuff, and yes. I've gone more for the, uh, <laughs> other than walking tall, everything else on my list I'd say is pretty highbrow, um, which brings me to my number two choice, which is Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners. Um, so we, we have these two families and their kids get taken at the beginning of the film mm. and the police can't really find them. Uh, Hugh Jackman's character thinks he knows who's taken them or who's responsible. So he takes him himself and he tortures him until he gives up the location of where his child is. So he, ta he takes the law into his own hands and it is a brutal experience. Um, it's a very dark film. It's brilliantly acted on all fronts. You've got 
Um, Jake Gyllenhaal in here is a detective trying to track these kids down uh, and you've got a bit of a dark twisted ending that again I won't spoil uh, but yeah the whole thing just it, it, it it's one of those movies that just asks how far would you be willing to go if it's your if it's your child how far would you be willing to go um, nothing more to it than that really so yeah I, I didn't even think of that as a vigilante movie brain um, like I said, my, my, my head was deep in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, my number one movie is. Uh, <laughs> oh, where's it going? Quickly search something else. Go where's it um, going? My number. Uh, taken. No, it, it's a respectable choice. It's the obvious choice, I think. Yeah. Um, one mild mannered life is turned upside down when somebody close to him is taken and he goes for revenge against the gang that perpetrated it. <laughs> it's just, I think taken um, probably gets a little bit more maligned these days than it should simply because of the two extremely crappy sequels yeah. and the barrage of uh, Liam Neeson old man action movies yeah. that uh, came after it. Um, and it kind of robs the movie of the power that that it has now again I'm not saying this is the perfect movie I think um, the girl that plays his daughter is, is far too old <laughs> far far too old for the kind of role that she's playing um, but it's all about Neeson and it's all about that phone call that yeah. everybody knows whether they've seen the movie or not yeah. the kick-ass action um, this is a movie that probably everybody's seen um, when I went to the cinema to see it I was the only person there um, nobody it, like it just seemed to be one of these movies that came into the cinema and left nobody mm. talked about it um, and again it's probably been about what 10 11 years since it came out yeah. tremendous action movie and it really did kickstart Liam Neeson into a, another resurgence in his career mm. um, which is good or bad depending on how you look at it yeah and <clears throat> the thing as well is that Taken actually is it's quite an underestimated film because it did kind of start that whole discussion about sex trafficking. Mm. Um, like these days, there's so many movies that I mean, Cold in July, for example, you know, that the, there's so many movies now that deal with that as an angle. Mm. And actually, when Taken did it, it, it I can't really think of many more movies before that that did. Um, and I think part of that is because Liam Neeson at the time was a spokesperson. He was kind of like the representative for, I, I can't remember the name of the organisation, but it was an organisation that, that dealt with human trafficking, that helped the right. victims of human trafficking. So he he was kind of... He, he was the guy, basically, to go. And around that time as well, I, I was doing quite a lot of research into human trafficking for... Um, Whoa. <laughs> not like that. It's, it's for various uh, Christian circles. I was trying to get petitions into government made. The government were talking about changing certain laws which would have helped human traffickers more than the people being trafficked. So 
I, I ended up doing uh, research into it and stuff to try and find out things about it. And then when Taken came out, I, I, I was actually interested in the film uh, purely from that level, really, uh, my, because of Liam Neeson's involvement and, you know, the subject matter. Uh, so when I got when I watched it, you know, it's easy to look at this film and just say it's, it's a dumb action film. But actually, you take Liam Neeson's character out, remove him from the equation. A lot of the stuff that is going on in this film, the way they portray trafficking, how victims are, are caught at airports, the way they're manipulated, the way they're sold and things like that. All those elements are actually pretty accurate with regards to how it works. Um, so I don't think this, this film gets enough credit, to be honest. Uh, it's very easy to dismiss it, unfortunately. But, yeah, uh, I, I, do, I do credit it more than, more than people often do. Uh, you know, it is dumb, obviously, in places, because yep. Luke Besson is primarily using a subject matter that is quite serious to, to make that big dumb action film. But, mm. you know, there is a lot of good stuff in there for yeah, various reasons. But, no, Taken's a very solid choice. It very narrowly missed out on being my, on my list. It, my t it, it, was, it was nearly my top five, but I, I think I have a bit more fun with Walking Tall, so <laughs> that won out. Um, no, but my number one is Falling Down. Uh, absolutely love this film. Basically just, it's about a guy who has had enough. He's had enough with the system, with, mm. with, with everything. Um, and he takes matters into his own hands, you know. He breaks the law at every turn. And yet, every time he does so, nearly every time he does so, you can't help but feel that he's somehow right. <laughs> you know, uh, he, like, you don't justify his racist attitude towards the shopkeeper, but you do understand his rage at the fact that this guy has no humanity about letting him off with a few pence for a cold drink on the hottest day of the year when he's got no money in his pocket and he looks, you know, he's lost these gang members who, like, you know, try, try to rob his case and he, he, he beats them off with a stick that he robbed from the store, you know? You, you can't help but root for him in that situation. You've got this complete asshat who runs this military shop who starts having a, a, a full-on rant about gay people and, and saying, we're the same, you and me, we're the same. And, like, and, and he just, we're not the same. And then when this guy turns on him, he ends up killing him. And again, can't justify the murder, but you can't help but be on his side. Uh, and then the roadwork situation. How many times have we, have all of us, been trapped in traffic and you see the roadworks people just sitting there doing nothing or just seemingly talking or just... And you, if you had, you know, you, you root for him. Like, yeah, if I had a bazooka right now in that situation, I would understand it. Good on you for, for doing it. And then the, the, the weenie burger giant, yeah. when he looks at the poster, it is an injustice. You go to McDonald's or wherever 
and you see these posters of these the most succulent burger with crispy lettuce and these shiny buns and you get this squashed ass thing with cheese just like that looks minging pouring out of it and you can barely see the lettuce in it and he just wants good service and he wants what they're selling he wants the product that he sees them selling on you know in the pictures it's injustice that he wants to put right. So all of these situations that he gets into, you're kind of on his side, even though you can't justify his actions. Um, so, yeah, like for me, it's, it's one of my favourite films. I think it's Joel Schumacher's best film. Uh, I, I've seen it many times now. I love the character uh, or the, of, of Pendergast. I can't remember the, the actor's name. Uh, from uh, Apocalypse Now and all those other great movies. Robert uh, Duvall. Robert Duvall, yeah. Absolutely brilliant in this film. And, and it's kind of his story, really. It's his, you know, he's the one who has this arc um, that he goes on. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's going to retire, but this, he's trying to find this guy who's going on the rampage before he retires. And it's all about him kind of, as well, him sticking it to the man. Because he's this... He's this cop who isn't really respected in his department. The, mm. the the guy who's in charge of him kind of looks down on him, and yeah, and it's really all about him essentially doing what Michael Douglas's character is doing, which is turning around and saying, "Actually, you know what? Enough's enough," mm. um, and gaining some self-respect. And at the end, you know, punching the lights out of of this guy who's who's above him and, and saying, "You know," so. Yeah, in a way, Douglas's character inspires him. So it's a great film. It's really underappreciated. Uh, I think people need to check it out. Uh, for me, it is the best vigilante movie that isn't a comic book movie. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, I kind of see where you're coming from. I never thought of it as a, a vigilante movie uh, of sorts. But, you know, my, like we said, my head was looking at one thing. You were seemed to be looking at something <laughs> different, which is good. We've got Excellent. ten very different movies there. Excellent. Excellent. It's so, very, very rare, isn't it, that we don't at least have one crossover? Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, ten movies there mm. for people to check out. Cracking. So we are going to move on to next episode. <laughs> <clears throat> so we have five movies, or I have five movies. I have a synopsis of sorts for each one. Yeah. I will uh, give them to Brian. He will eliminate one by one until the one that he's left with is the movie for next month. So, when a suburban couple go camping for the weekend at a remote beach, they discover that nature isn't in an accommodating mood. Number two, the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish cult. Number three, a man is forced into a choice of self-discovery that will shatter his whole world. Number four, a young man attempts to steal a car and stumbles into the world of wackiness as a result. And number five, a broken man tries to stop a deadly virus from being unleashed. Oh, man. <laughs> Any that pique your interest there, Brian? Just read me two and three again. Okay. Uh, two B. 
the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish cult. And number three, a man is forced into a choice of self-discovery that will shatter his whole world. Get rid of two. Okay, you have got rid of Nicholas Cage's Mandy. Oh. Quite, I was kind of hoping that was the one you were going to pick, not first. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'd, mm, I've, I've actually, yeah, I've got that ready, waiting to watch. I've not seen it yet. That would have been a good one, actually. Mm. Um, okay, never mind. Um, oh, man. What, what was number five again? Yeah, a broken man tries to stop a deadly virus from being unleashed. Yeah, get rid of that one. You have well. got rid of 12 monkeys. Oh, man! Dagnamit! That was my second pick for this episode, hopefully. Oh, you're, you're that, on a that would have been my first. That would have been my first pick. Um, yeah, crap. Okay, uh, so we've got one, three and four. Yes. Right, go on, re- read, read them all out to me okay. again one more time. Number one, when a suburban couple go camping for the weekend at a remote beach, they discover that nature isn't in an accommodating mood. Uh, number three, a man is forced into a choice of self-discovery that will shatter his whole world. Number four, a young man attempts to steal a car and stumbles into a world of wackiness as a result. Get rid of four. You have got rid of Repo Man. Um, oh man, shattered his whole world. It's not split. It's, oh man. Hmm, nature versus, oh, ah, okay, I've got no, no, no clue with either one of these, uh, so, I'm going to get rid of number one. You have got rid of Long Weekend, an Australian thriller that came out in uh, 1980, which is pretty terrific. Right. And at maybe the fourth time of me trying, you have <laughs> <laughs> you have finally... At last, chosen on its 20th year anniversary, <laughs> The Matrix. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. Seriously. Well, has it been four times now that you've tried for that one? Yes, over the over the couple of years. I've tried several times to squeeze wow. this in. Good grief. Okay. Well, good one. Good choice. Uh, it's about time. Yeah, I, I've, I've been looking for an excuse to watch this recently, to be fair. Um, yeah. And, and the 20th anniversary is, is pretty terrific. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to checking this one out. And okay. I'm going to go broad on the, the top five. And just right. I'm going to throw it right out there and go, unless you can think of a better one, top five science fiction movies. Well, I have done top five science fiction movies over on my channel recently right. um, well I did, I did top 5 original sci-fi and top 5 sci-fi sequels uh, I, I don't know um, off 
the top of my head. I about top five cyber sci-fi films. Gives <laughs> <laughs> me a reason to put Johnny Mnemonic on the list. Oh, good grief. Um, right. Okay. Top five cyber sci-fi films. There we have it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you are enthused and are willing to go out and check out Cold in July. It's a pretty terrific movie. Of course, we would really appreciate it if you would nip over to iTunes and give us a rating. It really helps us get noticed and gives our ego a little bit of a boost. So thanks for listening and we will see you next month for The Matrix.
forever after. What did you think of the opening of the movie?